Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Everyday Musician Podcast. This is episode 24. Welcome to the Everyday Musician Podcast, hosted by Eric Mergala, a podcast where he has conversations with everyday musicians doing amazing things. Here's your host, Eric. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Everyday Musician Podcast. And I have Mona Sied Bolofresh on the phone. She is a pianist on tour at the moment. Mona, thanks for coming on the, this morning. Thank you for having me, Eric. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So for the people who are not familiar with what you do and who you are, can you just briefly describe um, your life as a musician? Sure, absolutely. So at the moment, I am a keyboardist on the touring production of Broadway Cinderella by Rodgers and Hammerstein. So what I do is I travel with the show, we go around the country doing performances, and I sit in the pit, and I'm one of the people who's responsible for making music throughout the entirety of the performance. Um, With musical theater, especially keyboardists, we have a different role than you would usually expect um, a pianist to have, I guess. We use a lot of synths, especially because we're a traveling production and a lot of theaters have some size restrictions as far as pit goes. We do a lot of synth work, so I'm usually playing harp or um, strings or brass. I play a xylophone sometimes, but we do this all using sound libraries, and that's basically my job. So with the synthesizers, are your um, is your keyboard attached to a laptop or a computer where you kind of generate the sound, or are all the synths already on the keyboard? It's all connected to a computer. We have a traveling rig that goes with us. It's like a block of, it's basically like, um, almost like a cubby that our tech team has built a computer inside. Um, and then we have two hard drives in there that are connected to a monitor, and those two hard drives are running a program called MainStage, which houses all of our sense patches and puts them in order and also layers them because sometimes we need to play multiple instruments at once. And we have two keyboards because we have a main and a backup in case something happens or one freezes, in which case we have a trigger that will switch us to the backup that's running simultaneously with the main that we were playing off of before. Being overprepared, I love that. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, so I want to describe your life on tour. I'm sure it's a very busy schedule, and um, and I'm I really appreciate you coming on. And I'm we we had a little bit of a um, schedule schedule re, uh, rearranging the schedule. <laughs> so I'm glad we were able to sit down and uh, talk on the phone like this. So yeah, describe your life on tour. What are um, some of the things that you've noticed? And have you been on tour before like this? So just des- um, describe your thoughts. Sure. So this is my my first time on a tour like this. I actually just graduated from school in May of 2018. Yes, that's correct. Um, I just graduated, so this is my first tour. And um, our typical life or week, there's really, I guess, three levels of intensity. You could say you have weeks that were like one that we just came off of, where we call it a one-nighter week. And basically that means that every day we're in a different uh, city. So we'll wake up in the morning, we'll get on our bus, we'll drive, 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 hit the hotel around 3 or 4 o'clock, have a couple hours free, then we head into the theater for sound check, sound check for about 40 minutes or so, and then have about a 40 minute to an hour break before doing the show that night, and then tearing everything down and doing it all again the next day. That's the most intense kind of week. Um, Then we have weeks like the one we're in right now, which is a little bit nicer. We have two to three days in each city, which is great, because that means we have all day to kind of wander around 
or sleep in. We can go and explore whatever food is in the city by us, or if there's cool tourist attractions or historical monuments, we'll go and check those out. Um, and so we're in the middle of that right now, which is fantastic. And then we have days where we have sits, like a week-long sit. We actually did a two-week-long sit in Boston, uh, which was the longest. And that is really wonderful because you kind of get to know the town. You get to know where you're living. Um, you only really need to be at the theater for three or four hours in the evening as a musician. Um, not even really that much. You come at half hour, 45 minutes before downbeat, play the show, go home, but the rest of your time is yours. Um, because we are on the third leg of the tour, it's been going out for three years at this point, I think. Um, we don't have many sits, but we do have some weeks where we have two or three days to just kind of relax and be able to stretch our legs, which is really the nicest kind of week. So that's pretty much sums up in general what life is like. If that's really um, a hectic life. So you're on the road all the time. How do you stay fresh and stay fresh for every single performance or every single rehearsal? Because, um, you know, playing the notes and knowing the music is one thing, but staying fresh for every single performance, because, yeah, it can be very tiring. So can you can you talk about that? Absolutely. I mean, I will say it's not easy and it's something that a lot of us talk about. How do we keep our mental health up and our, our physical health up because all of us are athletes in a way, whether you're a dancer or a musician or somebody who's working crew, we all have to take care of ourselves. So you learn very quickly on tour not to succumb to the temptation of always eating the fried tasty things at a restaurant because you're always eating out. That's another thing. We don't have kitchens. So we're really dependent on our hotel microwave and fridge and whatever grocery store may near be nearby or that we stopped at at lunch stop. So you learn really quickly. You can't eat all the fun foods. You're just not going to feel great and it won't do you any favors, especially when you're living this kind of lifestyle. So we're all very careful about what we eat. You learn how to grocery shop in an interesting way um, because all you can do is microwavable foods and uh, raw foods. So you learn how to grocery shop we all talk about focusing on different things that relax us. So for some people, that's meditation. For others, that's knitting or crocheting. Some people will read. Some people get really into journaling. For me personally, I do a lot of reading, and I actually keep some of my sanity by working on other projects, <laughs> which is a bit of the workaholic in me. But I try and do different things to just kind of keep my mind active. So that way, Cinderella isn't the only thing I'm doing. Because if I have a day where I've done some composition and I've done some reading and then maybe I've taught one of the actors a music theory lesson, then by the time I get to the show, it feels like I've done a lot of different things throughout the day, so my mind is fresh. The other important thing is sleeping, of course. Yeah, um, sleeping is so... So, so essential, so important for a tour like this. I know that with uh, with my group with the Chicago Chamber Music Project, we're having a very um, vigorous schedule at the end of April, and we're just trying to keep fresh um, during those Absolutely. two days that we're going to be traveling. So I, I feel your pain. <laughs> yep, sleep is extremely important. And the people you do it with have um, a, a big impact. I know for me, when I go into the theater and I'm doing the show, a lot of my ability to 
focus in and stay fresh and reactive and not settle into a muscle memory has to do with the people I'm working with. And we are so fortunate because this company as a whole is just filled with really wonderful people and really wonderful characters. Um, so when you go into the theater and you sit down and you play, you're happy to be with the people that you're working with, which makes it engaging and keeps you from kind of falling in the muscle memory. Um, I know one thing for me that particularly gets me kind of in the zone is when we have the theaters where the pit isn't quite so sunken down in the ground so we can see the audience and we can see the stage. And it's really nice because we get to see what the rest of our colleagues are doing, but we also feel closer to the audience and it feels more like a performance than, you know, compared to being three, four feet underground. So, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of a general overview of staying healthy on tour 101 oh and we all pack loads of vitamin c emergency yes. vitamin c uh echinacea <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah vitamin, we yeah, vitamin c <laughs> well yeah you can include it on the uh, list of groceries um that you need to be doing you know raw Absolutely. food for oranges and all that stuff so you said that you've been reading a lot on tour so what kind of books have you been interesting for you or not interesting Oh, okay. Um, I'm afraid this is going to be rather specific, but most of my reading has been centered around books on conducting. Oh, okay. Um, because I'm working on getting into a master's program. So I, because I decided to take a gap year, I've been doing um, a lot of reading of books that have been recommended to me by conductors who have either done their graduate studies um, or professors of mine. So that's most of my reading. I don't know if you want to hear more about that. Okay. No, I figured that maybe it's like fiction or science fiction. I don't know what um, like what other genres of um, literature you're interested in reading or you have been reading. So oh, I do love fiction, but unfortunately not at this moment. <laughs> so most of the books that you've been reading are mostly like geared towards music and trying, uh, you know, for professional development, essentially. Yes, exactly. Great. Great. So, Mona, can you describe the process of getting into a Broadway production like this? Because it's very different than auditioning for an orchestra, which I have had the pleasure of speaking about, where, you know, you go through rounds and you have a blind screen and it's it's a very different process. So can you describe um, how the process of getting into a Broadway production like this and to be playing as a musician in a production like this? Absolutely. Um, so there's a couple of different ways. I'll start with the way that I got involved with Cinderella, which is not the most common. And then I can talk a little bit more about what the more typical um, process would be like. So for me, there's there's a website called Playbill. Um, any of your listeners who are big into musical theater either probably know about it or they should check it out if they're looking to be a working musician or actor. But Playbill is the company that's responsible for printing all of the programs that we see on Broadway for musicals and straight plays alike. They also have a website where they post jobs. So whenever, you know, Mean Girls on Broadway has an open call for actors, that's where the posting will go up. For musicians, it's a little bit different, but Playbill does post some musician jobs on their website. So for me, um, Cinderella was posted on Playbill. It was shared in a Facebook group called Theater Music Directors, which I highly recommend for anybody who's listening who wants to be a theater music director. It's a great community. But the 
Play the Link was posted in there, and somebody tagged me saying, like, hey, you should check this out, because it was right around the time I was going to graduate. I think it was maybe a week after I just walked. Um, so I checked out the link. Uh, they asked you to send in your resume, which I did. And then they got back to me, and they're like, okay, you have five days. Here is the waltz and the pursuit, which are two big dance numbers from Cinderella. So very dense, because there's no singing, and they're orchestral reductions that are in a piano part. So they gave us the hardest stuff in the show, essentially. Makes sense. They say, you have five days, record this, send us back a video. So there's no blind screening. Um, instantly they know if you're male, female, black, white, Middle Eastern, whatever it may be. Um, so you do that, send it in. And then I waited for about a week, got a call from the music supervisor, who kind of did like a preliminary interview over the phone asking me about my education and just getting to know me a little bit better. And then he said, hey, look, well, I'd like you to come by and play some stuff for me. Let's set a date. So we did that, went into my live audition. He had me replay some things from the video excerpts that I sent in. And I also had to do some sight reading with him conducting. And what else? Oh, um, he asked me to play anything, so I played a Mozart piano sonata, which is a slightly different vein, but it was what I had on hand, and um, and then a more typical sit-down interview, where you, they go through your resume, and they talk about what you've done, and ask you questions about your experience. Um, this interview in particular, I was asked quite a few questions about, are you familiar with Mainstage, which is the program I mentioned earlier that's responsible for all of our synth programming. So that was my process. It's not common that you see a posting for a musician position on a tour. The more common um, method, I guess, is usually by a case of somebody who knows somebody. So, probably for usually, example, yeah, that's, oh, that's yeah, that's the method I'm familiar with, which is uh, yeah. word of mouth. People just exactly. give each other um, opportunities. Yes. Exactly. And I'd say that's 90% of what happens. Um, I got very lucky that Cinderella decided to sort of open its doors to the unknown people and see what new talent they could find. But the more typical way is either touring companies will hire from within. So, you know, say, for example, the company that I work with right now that produces Cinderella is called Worknight Productions. Next year, they have... Um, two big shows going out, Jesus Christ Superstar for the 50th anniversary tour and um, Bandstand. So when they start hiring the music teams and the musicians, they start from hiring from within. So they're going to look at the musicians on Cinderella and they're going to look at the musicians who are on Rent and for Jesus Christ Superstar, maybe the original musicians who are with the Chicago production. And that's where they start their hiring process. So they're going to go from within the company. Um, and then if they don't have anyone there, then oftentimes the people who are responsible for hiring musicians will receive cold emails from people who are with other touring companies. So sort of in the network, but not working directly for the company, uh, they'll receive cold emails from them. And after they've exhausted their hiring from within, then they'll move on to that. And then I suppose if for whatever reason, if they weren't able to find who they were looking for within that network, then they would probably start asking the music director or the music supervisor, hey, is there anybody you know who'd want to do this? And they would have to go through a similar audition process to what I just described. So once, you, once you've been contacted, the process is pretty similar. It's just that first point of contact that was unusual for me 
um, and is more typical in the way that I'm describing now. Yeah, this is all this is all new to me. I think definitely in the freelance circuit or in the or definitely in the Broadway circuit, I guess, since we're talking Broadway, that you are if you're not in the scene or if you're not in the network, it's um, I guess it is kind of difficult to get yourself a gig like this unless you have been in the scene for around six or seven years, I would say is the average amount of time. So I'm glad that you got an opportunity like this where you were where you were simply chosen um, through a resume. Which and an audition, which is very rare, so extremely rare. <laughs> extremely rare. But you know, good things happen to good people. So I, I know that you oh, know you're, you. yeah. And I know that you and I uh, spent some uh, spent some time in Boston together, and we uh, we played a few sessions, I believe. Maybe, maybe. Oh yeah. Yeah, we played we played a few <laughs> sessions together. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, very strong pianists. Um, we're talking to ladies and gentlemen. Now for one of the fun questions uh, that I want to ask you. Can you tell All us about right. a time where piano has, um, or like the piano instrument has inspired you to actually play the piano? Can you recall a time where there was like a single moment in your life where you're like, okay, I want to be a musician? Yes, actually. Um, I, I know the exact moment. So I, I, I've been doing piano for a long time. My parents started me at a young age. Um, but it was always more of a hobby than anything. But as I started getting into high school, I was becoming more and more involved without becoming more serious because it was just never on my radar to think of music as a career. My family is all engineers and people who do business, physics teachers, doctors, so was not even of consideration. And then when I started to get to around 16, 17 I was starting to look at music a little bit more seriously, but was very much scared by the stories that we all hear. You know, music isn't a stable career. It's not financially safe. Um, If you go into it, you don't know what kind of life you're going to have. It's a gamble. Look at how many people fail. Look at the ones who do make it, how much they make. So I was still a little scared by all of that. But when I, I think it was my 17th birthday. Yes, my 17th birthday. We were in London visiting my family, and my dad got Book of Mormon tickets as a birthday present. So I went with my aunt that evening to the theater that I think was just off Leicester Square, I want to say. No, it was just after Falgar Square. That's mm, what Okay, yes. Um, and after the show, I came out, and I was jittery. It's like I drank three bulletproof coffees in an hour because I was just so excited and buzzed and happy from what I'd just seen. And we were walking past the square to this tube station and the city was alive, even though it was almost 1130 at that point, bustling and full of life. And there were these street dancers who were performing on the streets and everything just kind of clicked. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds silly, but everything kind of clicked. <laughs> And it was just a combination of seeing that production and then walking out into this beautiful city and, you know, feeling the energy of everything. And I turned to my aunt and I was like, you know, Sale, I don't think I want to be a doctor. (laughs) And I I said it like it was the guiltiest confession I could ever make because, you know, nobody in my family is a musician and they're all kind of scared of that career for me. So I turned to my auntie. I was like, Holly, I don't think I want to be a doctor. I think I want to be a musician. Do you, do you think that would be okay? And she was like, oh, yeah, you know, I always thought you as more of a musician anyways. I'm like, oh, well, 
great. Could have told me that two years ago when I first started that. Yeah, right. <laughs> a bit of a life crisis. And how are you supposed to know what you want to do with the rest of your life at 18 anyways? But that was the moment where it kind of clicked. And I think for, for any listen, listeners of yours who are from the U.S., that was, I think, two weeks after the Common App had already come out. Um, so I'd already started filling out my applications and writing my essays and preparing to apply to apply to biology programs and all of that. And then I had to turn around and tell my piano teacher, hey, so can you get me ready for pre-screening auditions in a month and a half? Oh, man. That's, <laughs> that's a tough order. <laughs> but it, it was. There was a lot of practicing for that year. It, I think that was the only time in my life I've ever gotten to practicing close to seven hours a day. Which, although, although we don't recommend that for the musicians no, listening. absolutely not. I was just about to say, in hindsight, I think that after about hour three, three and a half, and that's with breaks, um, there's not much more that I could have really accomplished. So a, a good chunk of that practice time was really just, I guess, nerves and anxiety more than it was actually accomplishing anything and making progress in my piece. So I definitely do not recommend it. Yeah, definitely. But you know, Mona, I think this is the first time I've actually heard your backstory and it's very inspiring. But the thing that um, that kind of crossed my mind was from from a movie. There was a quote that that said um, there are other ways to change lives, whether you don't have to be a doctor or a physician to change lives. And clearly musicians are able to change lives and inspire people and show them the world and talk about various topics. So I think um, that's why we're in the music profession and that's why we're artists to send messages and to communicate with our audiences um, no matter, no matter what. So for, so Mona, so we, we are running out of time here. Mona, can you give any advice for the musician who is trying to, um, have a professional career because we are in the middle of audition season. So for the listeners who are coming across this podcast, maybe in high school, senior in high school, or for the people who are auditioning for master's programs, you know, and or and or other orchestra positions or any kind of audition per se. So what kind of advice do you have for the musicians who are trying to make it per se? Um. Focus on why you're passionate about it. Focus on why you love it. While it's important to drill your pieces and your scales and your technique exercises, keep something physical with you, whether it be a score or a recording or a photo from a certain day. Um, But keep a piece, something tangible, something physical that reminds you of a moment where you just felt completely filled with passion and that made you think yes this is what I want to do with my life that made you feel completely and wholly in love with this discipline because technique is important practicing is important and you need to have all of that but what really makes you shine is when you can go up to somebody who's interviewing you for an undergraduate or a master's program or for whatever and show them why you're passionate about what you do and what you're looking to do with the skills that you have. And it's easier to remember that when you have a tangible piece of something to remind you because otherwise you just get lost in the nerves and the practice anxiety and the everyday routine of scales and drills. 
Wonderful, Mona. Thank you so much for coming on to this week's podcast and and calling me over the phone. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much, Eric. Of course. So for people who are interested in learning more about you and your story, where can people find you on social media? Oh, gosh. I need to check my social media handle. Um, I do have a Facebook account, a professional Facebook account that's Mona Sayed Blorfrosh, just like... Oh, gosh, I try and spell it over the phone. I'm not sure. Um, I will provide... Nah, don't worry about spelling it. I will <laughs> provide okay. a link for people in the podcast description so that way they can learn Fantastic. more about you and see what you're up to on the Cinderella tour. Okay, and then I do also have an Instagram that's easier to find, uh, which is just Mona underscore S underscore B underscore. So I'm always happy to talk to people if they ever have any questions or just want to know more about what this life is like. Yeah, so DM her, ladies and gentlemen. And Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So thank you again, Mona. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Eric, for providing us this platform. Thanks for joining us on the Everyday Musician Podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast platforms. This week's episode was brought to you by Airbnb. If you're a frequent traveler, download the app today and create an account to get $40 in Airbnb credit towards your next day. Music was created by Ionix Music. I'm your host, Eric Morgala. Join me next week for another episode of The Everyday Musician.